words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. This parable we heard from Jesus today is actually one of uh, a series of three parables about um, things that were lost uh, being searched out and found. And if you reach into the recesses of your um, uh, church school brains, you'll remember the, those two parables, those two other parables, which are um, when the woman loses a coin and searches for it all night long and then spends it when um, she finds it in celebration that she calls and invites all her neighbors to. She, she extravagantly spends the, the coin that she had lost. And then also the one that uh, most people remember more easily is when uh, the shepherd looks and searches for the one sheep that has wandered off, leaving the 99 um, at risk, and yet um, all are valuable. So he searches for them. So these are are all parables of sort of extravagant grace. There's a moving history behind the hymn we just sung, Amazing Grace, and it's associated very strongly with the parable of, that we know as the prodigal son. And the author, John Newton, wrote Taking directly from that parable, he wrote, I once was lost, and now I'm found. And those words resonate with any who have struggled. It's said of the author of the hymn Amazing Grace, John Newton, that he grew up without any particular religious conviction, but his life's path was formed by a variety of twists and coincidences that were often put into motion, follow me here, by others' reactions to what they took as his, quote, recalcitrant insubordination. Recalcitrant insubordination points to the fact that the author of this beloved hymn was a major league sinner. I recently saw a customized sign in a person's home that I was visiting, and it, it read, um, I love Jesus, and I cuss a little. It's a riff off of, I love Jesus, and I drink a little. I think you, you all might have known that means. That is not John Newton. He actually made raunchy sailors blush with his crudeness. He actively worked against and mocked Christianity. He trafficked human beings as slaves and abused them. He was so bad that according to at least one account of his life, he was imprisoned in Sierra Leone for his crime. His father, back in England, had to beg a wealthy friend to send a ship with a crew to free him and bring him home. 
the ship called the Greyhound encountered awful storms. But there were many, many bad storms on ships that Newton sailed. One particular storm was so bad that even the hardcore unbelievers, the godless, as were converted, including Mr. Amazing Grace himself. It was his cry out to God to save his life on one, during one of those awful storms that changed him. So I've been told all my life that he was a relative. And while I haven't done the DNA tests, I have seen signs of recalcitrant insubordination in many of my family members, biological or otherwise. I have seen signs of recalcitrant insubordination in the mirror. So I guess the point that I want to make here is that Amazing Grace is not a hymn about a fairy tale, something nice that happened. It is a song that tells the power of God's grace to save us from ourselves, to save others from the effects of our sins, to make decisions to, that are life-giving, that are liberating, that are love-filled, filled in, in, in real time. And those parables about being lost and found are not fairy tales either. They tell, they proclaim, they reveal, they beg you to understand the strength of the grace that is freely given to us. Jesus might approve of the Dalai Lama's statement I was recently reminded of. Be kind whenever possible. It's always possible. But of course, we are not always kind. We are often cruel. And a moving song does not undo what has been done. And that's why, although we're often moved by stories of complete transformation of those who have lived evil lives, sinful lives, lives that have hurt other people, it's sometimes hard to hear the grace success stories, as it were. What about the people that are harmed? Where is the grace for them? Grace does not erase what's been done or the effects that it, ha it has. It has had. The sin has had. The Father's embrace did not erase all the terrible, despicable things the Son had done in the parable today. The finding of the lost sheep did not erase the danger its wandering had put the other 99 in. Finding the coin did not erase the hours lost looking for it, or even the cost of celebration. Grace does not 
erase or hide or justify past wrongdoing. Grace says we can do better. Grace says we are better. Grace says God knows what we are capable of, good and bad, and powers us for the good, turns us towards God's good. Grace is an embrace, an action, a sign that heals, reunites, restores, surprises, humbles, frees, changes. Grace makes a claim that God's goodness is strong enough to heal, to enfold and transform. Maybe because we become more open in our distress, or maybe our need is greater, our defenses are down, but grace often enters into our lives or our consciousness at times of loss. Times of loss, like the time you received the phone call that you did not get that gig, whatever it is, a job, a scholarship, a opportunity that you wanted, the time that they gave that spot to someone else, or like the time you get the call that the cancer has no treatment, or your spouse wants to leave, or whatever the loss is. Grace enters at the time of loss, like when the memorial reception has ended, and there's nothing left to keep you busy and distracted. And after everyone else has left and you feel most alone, grace enters to remind us that even then you are loved. Not the winning it all you, not the opening all the doors you, not the having it all together healthy you, just you at your lowest, loved. That is the embrace of God's grace. And when we receive it, it's exquisitely beautiful and gives us strength to turn towards the good. The theologian Justo Gonzalez says that Lent is a time to consider both the grace of God that has sought welcomed and loved us, and the constant danger that even the best meaning, most well-meaning religious people face, which is thinking that somehow they are better, or they deserve that grace, the, the temptation to become hoarders of grace. When Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son, he's addressing the best and most religious people in his context. And as he tells these parables, he knows that he is speaking to those who consider or are considered the not lost. And yet he knows that the lost are listening. My father, husband, and I made our way to Austin last Monday for an incredible presentation of photos from a Pulitzer Prize-winning photographer, John Moore. We prepared for the trip, 
like you do by fueling up, by having some snacks and drinks and music ready for the trip. And we kept a lookout for blue bonnets as we meandered on 71. We found some great spots to take pictures. It's a part of the journey to Austin at this time of year, right? A rite of passage to get a Texas blue bonnet in the background photo. And we risked our lives with oncoming traffic to get it. A beautiful photo. But John Moore's photos, who we were going to see, were a little more intense. One of his photos was the one that was on the cover of Time that captured the little girl crying her heart out as her mother was being searched by a border patrol agent. The little girl was held back from her mother as the agent searched her mom in the darkness. She and her mother were not ultimately separated as many other families have been. Still, no one wants to feel the helplessness, the helplessness of the girl crying, of the mom being searched, of the Border Patrol agent following his instructions. Moore's book, Undocumented, reflects the facts as he sees them in photos. And the facts are stunning. When confronted by them, it's hard to remember that we are not helpless. But we are not helpless. Grace helps us. In another photo, there's a colorful card in a bag that has a few other things in it, a plastic like Ziploc bag. The card had a list of things to take on your trip as if you were going on a journey to Austin. It had a, a list of six things. Take this on your journey. said, don't forget to bring water, salt, lemons, garlic, matches, and packaged or canned foods. Such a simple list for a dramatic journey so many migrant families are taking. And I'm so curious. I was so curious about who was handing out that colorful, little, helpful card. An individual? A church? A migrant shelter in Mexico? A nonprofit? A citizens concerned group of citizens? The photographer didn't know. Nobody knew. But that card to that person is such a sign of grace to me. That person did not make it. The card and that bag were his personal effects, held in the sheriff's office in Tucson, Arizona. But along the journey, at least they encountered one friendly face. They encountered a gesture of humanity, a recognition of their worth and their value. And their value 
this little card said, is as much as the ones who stayed at home, as much as the 99 who did not stray, as much as the one who was not misplaced, worthy just because they too are here on earth living this life which is God's. That little card with that simple list is evidence that we are not lost, evidence that grace exists and can be found among us, and that we can embody the grace of God's embrace. So whether you are experiencing a time of recalcitrant insubordination, whether you feel lost and alone, whether you feel helpless, remember that the embrace of God's grace, the lavish, lavish search, the uncalculated risk of God's grace allows us to reset for another day inching steadily towards reconciliation.